and thank you for joining us for the Elevation Podcast Series presented by the Colorado PGA. This week, we will be elevating our knowledge of leadership. My name is Holly Champion, and I'm the Player Development Director for the Colorado PGA. I'm joined by our co-host, Keith Soriano, PGA Certified Professional and the Career Consultant for the Colorado and Utah PGA sections. We are joined by two guests this week, Mike Lemus, PGA Master Professional and owner of Lemus Consult, LLC in Jupiter, Florida. Mike serves as a senior consultant for the PGA's new executive placement service called ExecuSearch and has a rich history as a PGA member. A South African native, Mike has served as president of the Ocean Reef Club, general manager director of golf at the PGA Tour, and CEO of Congressional Country Club, where he led the organization to the number one spot for platinum clubs in America. Our second guest is Mike O'Donnell, PGA Master Professional, Colorado PGA Board Member, and the Director of Family and Morale, Welfare and Recreation for the United States Army Garrison at Fort Carson in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The Texas native grew up in England, where he began an extensive leadership career, taking him to organizations in the United Kingdom, France, and Germany before returning to the United States. Having worked in all four sectors of our profession, public, private, resort, and military, Mike has a unique and well-balanced perspective on leadership. Please enjoy this episode of the Elevation Podcast. Mr. Lemus, tell me a little bit about just yourself, your background, and what leadership means to you. Um, well, thank you, uh, thank you for for this opportunity. Um, I think uh, a little bit of background. I'm originally from South Africa. I moved to the United States in 1979, um, and been fortunate enough to only ever have a career in sport. And uh, for the last 30 years, that sport was golf. So very fortunate to do that. Um, I've had uh, the opportunity to work for the PGA Tour. I've had an opportunity to work uh, in high-end um, uh, resorts. And really the last 20 years, uh, I had 16 years at Congressional Country Club as their CEO, and then the last four years at the Ocean Reef Club as their president. And uh, blessed to have had that opportunity. And uh, when it comes to leadership, what does leadership mean to me? Um, it's, it's a fascinating topic, and I actually have been researching this probably for the last... 15 years, maybe. Uh, I've done a couple of uh, presentations on leadership and looking at leadership traits and qualities. So I think it's really become a buzzword. It's really become something really important in uh, in the business communities and uh, I guess in life in general. Um, so it's it's very apropos that we probably talking about this at this stage. Um, what does leadership mean to me personally? Um, I think you know it's it's critical that if you're in a management position, and there's a big difference between managers and leaders. But if you're in a management position or if you're in a position where you are actually managing or overseeing people, it's really critical that you understand leadership or the concept of leadership 
uh, the concept of leading people. And then more importantly, it's really important for you to understand what your leadership style is. And depending on what publication you read and the research you do, uh, there's a myriad of different leadership styles that uh, that one can break break leadership down into. Um, and really, leadership first got to become topical because it was a military. It was more militaristic. It was more in the military that uh, that they took these leadership roles very seriously. So if you look at early research, it's all about leadership within the military. And that obviously has moved into mainstream, and really it's important in my mind that you not only understand the concept of leadership, but that you understand what your leadership style is. So I'm going to jump to your second question and tell you a little bit about my leadership philosophy or my leadership style, if I may. I don't believe that at any one time uh, you can you can have an overarching leadership philosophy uh, and in my case, it is participative leadership. So by that, I mean that I'm a consensus builder. I like to have other people's opinions about things. I uh, will get a whole bunch of leaders in a room and we will debate. Uh, and then we will form a consensus. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, even though that sounds a little bit kumbayaish, what I mean by that is in building consensus and participative, uh, had, had allowing people to be participative, um, at the end of the day, somebody still has to make a decision. And that decision usually rests on the, on the in the responsibility of the person who's leading the organization. So I certainly understand that with my style, uh, it's important for me to get feedback and uh, to have people participate. But at the end of the day, I do need to make a decision. And I understand that. And uh, I will make those decisions and have made those decisions over the years. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really like the point that you make. There's a difference between managers and leaders. I've heard that before, but I, I don't think that point can get reiterated too much. So, you know, Mike O'Donnell, I mean, as a PJ Master Professional and working in the, uh, um, you know, in the Army's, what I call, have always called MWR um, um, services, you know, obviously the military side that, uh, that Mr. Lemus was talking about is present, but also, you know, you lead a lot of civilians. Um, not just not just people uh, who have a military background. How does that play out in what you do? So first of all, good morning, Mike. Nice to meet you. Um, look forward to a good uh, a good conversation here over the next thirty minutes. And again, thanks, Holly and Keith, for setting this up. Um, if I if I jump back, Keith, just to kind of give a little bit of an overview, and then jump into that. So. Um, Similarly to, to Mike, um, had a, a just a, a neat opportunity over about the last 28 years um, to uh, to work in multiple capacities. Was born in Texas, uh, but grew up in England, um, and then I've had the opportunity to work in uh, in the U.S. Obviously, but Germany and France and the U.K. Um, and, and as you've mentioned, Keith, that military experience there. So I've probably got close now to, uh, to 12 years of executive sort of level experience with the military, um, above and beyond just the pure golf, um, but had at least seven years of Air Force and Army golf experience uh, and then about nine years of uh, private sector. 
So I had the opportunity to kind of work through the golf profession in most capacities, really. Uh, head professional and director of golf, GM and asset manager. Um, have had that opportunity to work in the, uh, the hospitality side on the hotel end as well, in the high-end hotel uh, side that was in Europe. Um, and worked for, you know, individual kind of small private ownership um, environments too. Um, but it's very interesting here in this, this leadership, what, what does it mean to you? So, you know, first of all, I would think um, for me, it's just such a critical component to, to the success of really any organization. Um, as simple as that. It's, it's an extreme privilege to have a leadership position. It also comes with extreme responsibility. Uh, obviously, you're dealing with people and resources, and I think you've, uh, you can never lose focus on the responsibility that comes with it. But the difference between good leadership and, and poor leadership is dramatic in, in the environment that it sets. Um, and so, Keith, your, your question was more about dealing with the the civilians kind of in the role that, that I'm currently in. So we've got approximately 800 uh, employees that run the uh, support services at Fort Carson. So that's everything from golf to, to autocraft to fitness facility cent- uh, centers and child and youth services. So childcare programs, we, we oversee the preventative health side to uh, try to mitigate high risk behaviors within the, uh, the soldiers and families. Uh, on the on the post, um, and so it's, it's a very diverse group. We're we're mixed with probably fifty five percent of of the workforce uh, is is female. Um, we've got a very diverse workforce as far as um, as far as age and generational workforce. Uh, in fact, I think we broke that out recently um and and we're seeing the larger percentage now um being a mix of the kind of the the gen y and the millennials um so so very very interesting there um and and the leadership piece that that i see that kind of sticks as most um important really and, and mike talked about his philosophy right away um and i think if if i summed it up mine would be to Establish an environment of trust and respect with competence and a positive attitude that inspires confidence and drives success. Um, and I think with the with the civilian workforce, it's very important to understand um, your team and and the drivers of your team and. Holly made the comment on management and leadership, and so did Mike, on how you need to look at the differences, and they are. They're extremely different. Managers do need to understand their leadership uh, requirements, and leaders have to both understand leadership and management. But it's a very, very clear delineation between the two. And really, the leadership piece is what motivates the team. It's what inspires the team. And that's why it's so critical. The management piece is more the the how-to and the standards and the details and the organization, but the leadership is, is, is having that ability to know your team and, and get them to actually understand a clear purpose and to follow you and to be inspired to follow um, is the key to, to, to great leadership. Uh, management is more about having subordinates and people that work for you. Uh, leadership, you really want to drive folks to follow you and be inspired uh, to the greater purpose. 
And that's a convoluted long answer. I hope something that you'd asked was in there, Keith. No, Mike, that's great. I, I appreciate it. And I, and I agree with you. That's uh, there's, you know, as both of you said, there's a significant difference between managing and leading and, um, and there's a time for both, right? Um, you know, a, a good leader needs also needs to be a good manager at times, in my opinion. And I think that uh, being fluid and understanding when to switch into those different roles or, you know, maybe based on situation or based on who that uh, the individual that you're interacting with at, at a given time is, um, you know, what they need from you as a manager or a leader. Um, this goes back to, as you might said, Mike, knowing your people and, and getting the best out of them. Yeah, hundred percent, Keith. Couldn't couldn't agree more. You've really got to be able to kind of flex back and forth based on the needs. Um, and, and Mike alluded to that too. There's so many different styles of leadership. I think having the ability to be a situational leader is critical, and that does come with experience. But it's that ability to know when to be more directive or, or less. Uh, you know, when to be more of a servant leader when to be more democratic uh, versus, you know, authoritarian, but it's, it's the key to being able to kind of move in and out based on the environment and based on who it is that you're dealing with is critical. Yeah. I think, uh, well, what's the old saying, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. So um, it's good to have some more than a hammer in your, in your toolbox. And so Mike, you kind of touched on it a little bit as, you know, leadership is part, partly knowing your people, right? We, you both kind of alluded to there's there's so many different kinds of leadership philosophies, leadership tactics. Um, you have to be a different leader to different people, different organizations and whatnot. You know, how do you figure out what your people need from you? Yeah, really good question. I think, um, you know, I think a lot of that comes with experience and I think it comes from, you know, studying uh, situations and, and kind of studying this as a topic. I think, um, as Michael said earlier, and we, we were talking about, there's a lot of different leadership styles out there. And I, I believe there are good styles and bad styles, but... When I say that, I think there are styles that you should sort of work towards spending most of your time in, whether that's a, a servant leadership, whether it's more of a democratic style of leadership. You know, there's the, you know, there's the, the leadership by fear, for example. There are times where that can be uh, appropriate, but generally you don't want to be spending a lot of time in that fear leadership mode. Um, so I think as you go through these, understanding your people, understanding your people's needs. And I think today more so than ever, and and, and Michael, uh, I'm not sure if you know, but I, I spent two years in the military in South Africa. It was compulsory and we all had to go through it. So, you know, there's a lot of fear leadership in, in the military. Um, there's a lot of inspirational leadership in the military. Certainly when you're in the front of, a, you know, the front of the troops and you charging into battle, as it were, there's, there's a lot of inspiration that comes from that, leading by example, etc. I think you need to understand um, the situation that you're in. And I'm going to give you a quick example. Um, two years ago, we had, uh, we had Hurricane Irma come through Ocean Reef and absolutely devastated the property. We incurred about $40 million worth of, uh, worth of damage. Uh, we had 1,100 staff members on property uh, that couldn't come back to work for we were out of operation literally for 100 days. 
So your traditional leadership style that I shared with you earlier that I believed in or that I believe in, um, when we were put into a situation of crisis or in a situation where we were dealing with devastation, your leadership style has to take a slightly different look at things, right? So when you're in the middle of a hurricane or coming out of a hurricane, you don't have time to have a lot of meetings. You don't have time to have a lot of sit-downs, consensus building, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it's more that sort of military tactic where you get in there, you know what needs to be done, you get it done, you probably look back to see if there are mistakes that were made, and there probably are, but you learn from those mistakes and you move forward. So I think that the whole thing for me about leadership is it's fluid, and I have learned to, understanding leadership, I've learned to try and spend as much of my time in the good leadership modes, that kind of uh, democratic, the servant leadership, the, uh, the, the leader that basically uh, develops consensus and asks for participation. And I've tried to stay away from the more dictatorial, um, negative um, fear leadership style. And I think a lot of that comes with experience. And and I reflect back on my own career, and I know in my early stages of you know being in a being a manager or being a leader, I was probably on the more you know dictatorial, maybe the, even the more fear-related leadership. And I think as you grow, you realize that you know for people to really lead, or for you to be able to lead people, and for them to be able to follow you, you need to. And Michael mentioned this earlier. You need to develop a trust and when they trust in you and believe in you, it's amazing what can be done. And I know later that we, we're going to be talking about some of the desired leadership qualities, and, and I look forward to that because I think, um, you know, nobody in this world is perfect. And certainly as we look at people in leadership positions, you, you sometimes wonder, you know, whether they've... Um, done any research at all on being a leader and how a leader operates because it's amazing to see how uh, how many things that are being done just don't jive with what really good leadership qualities and traits are. So I look forward to when we get to that stage. You know, we've got golf professionals, you know, very senior golf professionals to, you know, to golf professionals who are just starting the business. For those people who are not in traditional leadership roles, uh, maybe they're second assistant, third assistant, maybe they're outside services supervisor, uh, maybe they're not in a role that's that's a leader by title. How do they demonstrate and cultivate leadership characteristics in those kinds of roles? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a great question, Keith. And I think just to follow on a little bit with, with where Mike uh, ended there too, um, it is amazing that how many folks are, are in leadership positions and you wonder, you know, where the struggles are and, and, and how things can be so difficult. But I think to your point, a lot of people, myself included earlier on in, in my career, you, you kind of have that upward mobility, you progress into higher levels of responsibility. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you don't have those tools and you haven't had all that experience. Uh, and so that is a really good question. And, you know, when I look back, um, it's easy with the hindsight, but but I think having a a good mentor and a good um, coach 
uh, having, having a system in place with, with those folks that have that experience to just kind of help along the way. And often when you get into those positions, you don't know what you don't know. So you, you go in there, you think you're making the best effort. Uh, you're often, you know, kind of learning on the job, as it were. Um, so, you know, encourage that ability to reach out, to look up, to talk to folks that have been there and done it, uh, whether it's on the personal side or if it's in your, you know, your career field. Um, but take those opportunities early on um, because you, you definitely will benefit from that and, and it'll help to, to maybe not run into some of those struggles and challenges that we typically do. Um, that would be that would be my advice initially. Kind of reach out, make sure you've got some good tools to uh, to work and learn from, and some trusted folks to get that advice from. So, Michael, I think that's well said, and I would I would only add uh, the importance of a mentor, a coach, or somebody that you can model. You know, oftentimes, you know, mentoring is a very very, very interesting topic, and, and it, it takes a lot of effort on, on behalf of both parties, the mentee and the mentor. So it's important, um, you know, those, those opportunities don't always arise, Keith, in the, uh, in, in, in the industry necessarily that we're in. We do have some great mentors. I mean, I can think of a whole bunch of really good mentors, but it doesn't, it doesn't you know, it doesn't happen for everybody. But that doesn't mean that you can't, uh, you still can't use that that opportunity. And by that I mean, if you can find somebody that you can model after, if you can find somebody who has been successful in the industry, and kind of watch what they do, whether it's uh, you know whether it's in social media, whether it's in meetings, whether it's your involvement in the section, whether it's your involvement at work, there are a lot of different opportunities to look at where you are and then look to see who is taking a leadership role in those areas and then watch what those people do and then model after them, model after success. So that's another one of my favorite topics is success and why are people successful? And we don't really have to learn, you know, we, we don't have to learn by our own mistakes. We can learn from others. We can see where others have been successful and what led to their success and how do we build on that. So, and leadership is a great example of that. Uh, we've seen that all over the country right now with all of these, the governors, the, the politicians, and everybody in leadership roles. And I think it's interesting to see how, um, irrespective of which political party you're part of, it's interesting to see the leaders that are really emerging out of this, the ones that we're watching on television all the time. And and it might surprise you that, you know, somebody that you maybe not have thought of in a political party that you may not have supported, that suddenly rises above your expectation. And, and I've seen that happen just with myself watching uh, watching I'm, I'm sort of really spending a lot of time trying to you know get as much information as I can on this and it's amazing the people that are stepping up and really are great leaders and you know oftentimes people you've never heard of before so um, really really an interesting interesting situation happening live around us as we speak yeah I couldn't agree more I think um you know, looking at everything that we're going through today, hopefully, and obviously it's not going to last forever, but in times of crisis, you really know very, I think rather quickly, who comes out to be the best leader that you can look up to. And 
I really also like the idea of reaching out. You know, we've we've seen in our section with everything that's going on right now. Um, you know, we've we've tried to center a lot of our communication around community and being able for providing the opportunities for our members to ask other members, hey, what are you guys doing at your place? Or have you thought about this? Or what ideas can we come up with here? Um, you know, whatever part of the operation it surrounds. I think that's incredibly important because, you know, we we're going to thrive best together, whether we're leaders or whether we're you know, who you talked about being second and third assistants or outside services managers, things like that, um, I think is a really great point. So both of you kind of talked about it a little bit. Let's change gears a little bit and talk about the um, leadership qualities. I'm really interested to see both of your takes on what qualities make a good leader and what are the most desired qualities for leaders. Um, you know, when, when I talked philosophy, I try to keep it fairly simple um, because I think it's really important that your leadership philosophy is, is easily understood by the team so that it's very straightforward to model it. Um, the trust and respect um, for me kind of underlies everything. And I think to build that trust, you've got to be an honest person. You've got to have integrity. You've got to treat people very fairly and equally across the board. You can't play favorites. Um, and if you can instill that trust and respect, um, you know, the other key attribute is competence. Um, and you can't understate that either. As a leader, you, you have to have that technical skill set so that you know the job, you know the requirement, you, you know the impacts of decisions. Um, and that does take a certain amount of experience to have gone through. But if you compare, if you combine the competence with a trust and a respectful environment uh, as a leader that you create, um, that then inspires folks to follow. Um, and, and they have that confidence then in, in the leadership um, to know that they're following, you know, for right reasons, uh, that they're fully engaged um, in, in whatever that goal or mission is, and, and that ultimately leads to success. So I think having the competence and the skill sets is critical. Um, building and maintaining trust, it doesn't take but one bad decision or one inappropriate comment or one unfair treatment of anybody and your trust and your respect's gone. Uh, so that is a very fine line and you have to, to maintain that always. Um, and then as I allude to with, you know, knowing your people, um, a, a lot of times, and I 100% agree with it, the golden rule, treat others as you would have them treat yourself. Um, but I think there's more to that in the fact that not everybody wants to be treated the way you do. So I think you have to know your team, you need to know their drivers, what their needs, what their desires are, which takes, um, and, and Mike, you mentioned that very early on, um, is being present and collaborating and having that communication with your team. If you know them individually, specifically, you know, your direct reports, then you know what makes them tick. So, you may be wanted to, to, to be received or treated in a certain way. And for them, it might be a little different. So you've got to still know your team um, 
in detail, really, to be able to know that you're responding in a way or leading in a way that actually drives them to success. No, good, good points, Michael. Uh, really good points, and I really like and appreciate the trust one. This is an interesting um, question for me, Holly, because um, you know I actually have done some research on this, and it was published um, twice. The most recent publication was in 2014. I actually surveyed 250 um, industry leaders in golf, uh, and 200 of them were from the United States, and 50 were from outside of the outside of the country, sort of international. And the, there was really not a lot of questions. The question really was they they were given a whole lot of different descriptors of uh, attributes of great leaders, the traits of great leaders, and then asked to rank them. Um, so it's it's this is not a terribly scientific study. But what I was trying to do, I was trying to create a presentation on leadership and specifically around what are the traits. So if somebody uh, was attending the presentation, what was the takeaway? What were the things that you could potentially work on and you could sort of put into your quiver, as it were, to to become a better leader? And I'm going to just rattle off these. There, There are 12 of them that were recorded. And if any of you are interested in an article, I could certainly get that to Keith or Holly, I could get it to you and you can share it. But So the first one goes to the point that Michael just made. You have to have integrity. The number one trait attribute of a leader is integrity. And for all the reasons Michael mentioned, you know, trust, uh, you know, if you, if you, you, you know, the, the old concept of leading by example, well, if your example isn't very good, then you can't be a very good leader. So integrity was number one. The second one that came out as, a, as, a, as the second most important trait was your communication skills, your ability to be able to communicate. And that spoke to not just uh, written skills, presenting skills, uh, listening skills, but it also, uh, it also spoke to uh, your ability to share information and your willingness to share information, right? So the third one is one that, uh, that, that I really like, and that's a positive attitude. You know, you have a choice every day, and le- really good leaders choose to, be in a, to have a positive attitude. And I think as we go through this, and I'm thinking about Governor Cuomo now and just watching him on television, and, you know, he always leaves you feeling like he, he gives you a message that things aren't going great and we've got a challenge here, but he always leaves you with some hope, and that's the kind of positive attitude I'm talking about. The fourth one is commitment. It is basically, you know, once you make a commitment, this is what we're going to do. You live by that commitment and you follow through on that commitment. The fifth one Michael touched on earlier in the conversation, and that was the ability to inspire others. You know, it's uh, you got to start by being able to inspire yourself, and that talks to commitment and dedication and work ethic and all the other good things that we have out there. But you have to, people have to want to follow you. You have to have, you have to be inspirational, and there has to be a reason why people would want to follow you, whether that's going into battle or whatever it is. Um, the next two are categorized together, and that is the ability to be able to forward think and strategic think. And, and in the situation we're in now, you know, those two are very obvious. 
The eighth one is common sense. And again, these are all managers, golf professionals, directors of golf, people in the golf industry from all over the world really telling us this, right? So this is really not not me, but this is coming from this research that was done in the article written, was having common sense. And that's really talking to your gut, right? You know, I, I was presented with a situation yesterday and everything around me was taking me one way, but my gut was just telling me that this was just not where it needed to be. And, um, you know, I'm not going to give you the outcome of that, but having common sense is important. Nine is having confidence. There are a number of leaders, but if you're a leader and you don't have confidence, uh, you know, that's not going to work very well. So whether you have it or not, you have to have the ability to, to project confidence in any situation and make people feel good and make people feel calm as it goes. The tenth one, and we're getting to the end of this, sorry for this taking so long, but is uh, the ability to make a decision, decisiveness. And uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, and, and, and the one that I think that sort of sits with me is, you know, people who are not able to make a decision, who are not able to be decisive, are in effect making a decision. So, uh, you know, you need to make a decision. They're not always going to be right. But at the end of the day, you can always adjust and you can always move forward. But And not every decision is going to be right, but you can learn from it. Uh, the 11th one was financial savvy, just understanding finances as it relates to our industry and being a good leader. And then number 12 was the one that uh, Michael mentioned as well, and that's just your ability to be fair, the fairness factor. You know, uh, how do other people want to be treated, which Michael alluded to is the golden rule and then he alluded to what I call the platinum rule and that is you know treat other people the way they want to be treated and that's really really important and, and Keith is aware of this Holly you're probably aware of this but you know the consultants we all work with PIs predictive index and predictive index is a great recruiting tool but I think it's an even better management and leadership tool because it allows you to better understand how each person's personality best interacts with your personality. So I'm a huge proponent of predictive index and I've used that as a tool uh, in in pretty much my last three positions where we use that as a way. Yeah, my personality and my traits are very different than somebody sitting in a back office who's a chief financial officer and how I interact with them and get the most out of that relation depends on how I interact with them and vice versa. It's just as important for them to interact on a basis with me as to how I like to interact. So again, just kind of wrapping this up, I think the the PI is a is a really uh, another really important tool for us. Yeah, I think those are incredible points. I'm I would be interested to see your article that you wrote um, and stuff like that because um, that's I'm at the very tail end of a master's degree that's leadership oriented. So that. That article is fascinating to me, but I think those are all incredible um, qualities. That platinum rule, I just kind of heard for the first time um, this year through some of my different research, and I think you're incredibly true. It's it's being a leader, but it's leading people in the way that works for them and being the leader that they need in whatever situation that they're in. And I think a good leader, um, one of their traits I, I love the common sense one, first of all. <laughs> That's probably my favorite on the list uh, if I had to pick one. But I think the order in which you said them and, and uh, 
the traits themselves speak incredible volumes on what what leaders can focus on, what people who are striving to be good leaders could improve upon. Um, I think that's a great a great roadmap to start with. So thank you for outlining those. So let's talk a little bit about um, how you would lead people of different different generations or different diversities or you know different nationalities. Both of you being having work experience in different countries, obviously that's going to differ a little bit. So how how can you go about leading people who are vastly different, and how does a good leader? settle on what kind of leadership is needed. Mike O'Donnell, I think we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I think um, it's, a, it's another great question. And as, uh, you know, as we talk through this, a lot of, there's a lot of similarities too. And I think it still comes back primarily to, to knowing the team, right? So whether there's the generational differences, the cultural differences, it's very important as a leader that, that you make a very concerted effort to understand those um, to be effective. Uh, and then similar to, to Mike's comment there on knowing people's styles and personalities and the different traits and, and how they receive information, how they're best led, um, is critical so that you can then have that ability to, to kind of flex your leadership style to meet the need of that particular group that you're working with. Um, and I've got just a couple, I mean, kind of humorous examples, but the cultural one is, uh, it can be, can be incredibly challenging for all the right reasons. Um, you know, having, having worked in the, the, the French uh, project is the one that springs to mind because I worked for a German owner, uh, incredibly successful, who acquired a property in the south of France and did what any, you know, you would think smart, wise leader owner would do is brought in his team who he knew and trusted, brought in his engineers and his work construction crew to set about building a resort. Um, they were incredibly competent and incredibly skilled at what they did. Uh, short story, the project ran probably double the timeline, at least triple the budget that it had initially set out on and was primarily because you just don't take a German workforce into French territory and not give that work to the local French uh, workforce and oh by the way all the background nuances and how you get approvals to build A, B, C and D go through the local mayor's office uh, and that just missing piece right up front uh, created unbelievable challenges and, and timelines and, and, and budgetary expenses so um, just a, you know a quick real world example there of just kind of missing that, that culture gap um, but uh, but to the to generational piece, I think you know, and we talked just before the call, Holly, as well, on just how leadership has to change and evolve. So that's a, for me a very important like life lesson. Is you know I, I may have been a, a good leader in, in one particular environment, but that certainly doesn't mean that I'm a good or a great leader in this environment. So you have to continually evolve. You have to continually learn. You can never stop and think I am you know, this, that, or the other as a leader, because it can change 
as soon as the operating environment changes. Um, so when we look at, um, you know, some of the generational differences in, in like what's expected at work, the formality versus the informality, uh, how much flexibility is needed now, um, it's very evident that the, the current sort of entry-level workforce is not committed to a job like a traditionalist would be where you're in it for a career. Now you're in and within 30 to 60 days, you're assessing where, whether this meets your values and your values are not, you know, so necessarily following that corporate structure. It's what works for you. Are you being developed? Are you being educated? Are you getting challenging opportunities are you being allowed to collaborate collaboration and teamwork and mike you've hit on that as a priority too is incredibly important to today's workforce uh, so you have to adapt your your style and you have to be flexible as a leader to again kind of meet those those needs and values of each generation and or each culture that you're working for um, I think I would agree with what Michael said. I think maybe, and I think we're saying the same thing, and maybe we're not, but I think the, um, the, the key for me would be that I think good leadership skills, traits, attributes, whatever you want to call them, I think transcend age. I think, I think transcends uh, the different stages. I think, you know, communication for one or integrity for another, you know, you know, I don't care if you 12, 15, 25, 45, 75, that concept of integrity uh, is, it sort of stands the test of time, right? And communication skills, you know, you may communicate differently to a 15-year-old or 25-year-old or to a 45-year-old or a 60-year-old, but the ability to be able to communicate is key. So I think Michael and I are saying the same thing. And I just wanted to reiterate that I think if you have put good leadership traits and qualities in your quiver, then I think you pull them out and how you use them would depend on who you're talking to and who you're interacting with. But those still really do stand the, the test of time. Uh, what responsibilities does a leader have to develop the leadership qualities of those that they lead? How, so, how do we go about developing new leaders? Yeah, a, a great question. And I think, you know, in our industry and, um, you know, if you think about the, the awards that we give away at section level and at national level, you know, one of the awards, you know, you, you give away is, is how much have you given back to the industry? And I think about this all the time and I think of people like Bob Ford who, who runs a seminar which is only about three miles down the road from where I am. And, you know, one of the things as leaders in this industry, I think we we look back on and when people talk about Bob and talk about other great leaders in this industry, I think they look back and they say, well, wow, that was one of Bob's guys. That was one of Bob Ford's guys. Oh, he worked for Ford at, you know. Uh, Oakmont, or he worked for him at Seminole, and they can reference. And I, this, I, I don't know how, who else I would put in that category, but Bob certainly has has had a number of people that have gone through, you know, his mentorship or his leadership. So I think all of us uh, in this industry, as leaders or as people who aspire to be leaders, need to understand that a large part of what we do as leaders is giving back to the to the industry, and by giving back to the 
industry, I mean by mentoring and teaching and helping and coaching others to be able to take on a leadership role with if and when they are ready to do that. So um, I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, again, I think it's that whole mentor leadership coach thing that we've, we've all talked about. Um, but there's very few who actually walk that walk. And it's essential that uh, that we do do that. And it's it's not just one or two people. It's, you know, when, when somebody looks back at your career or you look back at your own career, I'd like to look back and think about all the people that I've worked with and that I've been involved with over the years. And I like to think, where are they today? You know, one of the guys that started with me, I talked to this morning, unfortunately, one of our friends, a, a GM that he's working for, just got admitted to hospital with the coronavirus. And uh, this gentleman is the director of golf. He started off working for me at Congressional in the bagroom. And he's now the director of golf. So I reached out to him to find out more about this friend of mine who was, you know, who was admitted to hospital. But you look back at that and you think about who are the people out there? Where are they? What's the network that has been created? Because every one of those, irrespective of where they have worked, they have a commonality. And, and in each case, let's say using Bob Ford as an example, the commonality is Bob, right? So whether you were at Oakmont, whether you were, you know, whether you were on committee with the PGA, whether you were at Seminole, whether you were, you know, at a US Open at Oakmont, wherever it is, they all tie back to one person. And it's important as a leader that you understand that and that you understand the importance of giving back. Keith, I'll just jump in there too, because uh, and, and to your initial point there, Mike, as well, um, to clarify on that, I, I agree 100% on the fact that, you know, your leadership philosophy Trust, respect, in my in my view, that the competence, positive attitude that transcends generations uh, and uh, and cultures, no question. So I think philosophy is a constant, right? That remains no matter what. It's the styles that have to be situational. So completely agreed with that, hundred uh, percent. And Keith, you know, to to your point there with what's the the role of a leader, I think. Um, Mike's, Mike's put it in, in great perspective there, and it really is about that focus on, on building the bench is kind of the term that, that I'll use or just the succession planning, um, you know, and the specifics of that. And we've talked, Keith, in the past, and I know how important this is in your role too, is developing these individual development plans or call them what you will, uh, which is a mix of, of meeting with your employees um, and, and your team and discussing kind of their, their goals, their aspirations and putting it on paper. To Mike's point, a lot of people talk it, but they don't necessarily walk it. But if you actually sit down with an employee and you lay out, here's, here's the vision and here's the goal and here's maybe you know, let's say it is that you're coming in as a as an entry level employee, and your your goal is to be the GM. You can very succinctly lay that out in a development plan and make sure that you're allowing those individuals to take opportunities for training and development. That you're meeting them at least twice a year as a minimum as a senior rater to be able to look over their plan and evaluate whether they're on track or not. Um, and then, you know, specifically to the leader, some of those traits or 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 attributes would be, you know, to continue to to ask questions of your team, you know, so you kind of have that thought-provoking attitude, uh, have the ability to show how, which is to the coaching mentoring piece, 
um, and that you're, you know, continually looking to develop and really replace yourself in every environment that you're in. You should be building one, two, three layers of, of, of opportunities for folks to continue to succeed up and through and ultimately, uh, you know, replace you along the way. You know, gentlemen, I would almost submit um, to, to both of your points and Mike with your, you know, Mr. Lemus with your characteristics of a leader. I think you think you would find and, and tell me if I'm off base here that if, if you are as a leader in a position where you are pouring yourself into the development of the people who work with you um, into creating leaders out of that group, you find that you exercise and require all of the traits that uh, that Mike talked about. Right. To me, that's it's almost the pinnacle of leadership is to develop other leaders. And it requires everything that we've talked about uh, that you two have talked about on the phone today. Absolutely, Keith. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I couldn't agree more. I think you hit the nail on the head, Keith and Mike and Mike being able to develop other people and stack the bench. I've used that analogy a bunch with even our interns that come in every year. I want to give them ownership. I want to give them something to learn and to do and get their hands on and make mistakes and, you know, ugly learn and different things. So I think that's what really develops those, those leadership skills in others. It's interesting, Holly, and I, I just share that because it's, it's a little bit military centric uh, not always right, but it certainly works in the military environment. But, you know, the way that leadership process kind of works is every two or three years, uh, your your leader, your senior leader, your commander is gone, right? And a new one comes mm-hmm. in. And so the whole methodology there is that those, those building leaders are getting the skill sets and the development along the way that they can just step into a command level leadership role and take over from one day to the next. Now that's not without its challenges. Trust me, I'm, I'm very familiar with those, but it's, it's a great process and it allows you to continually have that bench and for any leader know that they're going to be gone from one day to the next. And they've already set in place a culture and a strategy and all those tools that allows the team to continue on and operate seamlessly um, as they transition completely. So it's just, it's an interesting dynamic within the military. You know, Mike, I've, I've sat in on a lot of those uh, those those outgoing commander speeches um, at the change of command, and you hear it. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times, um, and they all say it is, my only goal here was to leave this command better than when I found it. And I think that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yep. Great points. Well, gentlemen, um, thank you very much for sharing your points of view, sharing your opinions. Um sharing what's what's important i think we've been able to collect a lot of knowledge here we've got a lot of great things to share and i sincerely appreciate all three of you being able to join us for the elevation podcast series thank you holly thank you keith really appreciate it mike great being with you yeah same here mike great great meeting you via the phone and holly keith thanks as always for everything you do appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this before you leave, Michael, can you tell me who won the World Cup rugby the last time? Do you recall? <laughs> I, just, I just always remember England for some reason, Mike. Yeah, they played in the final, but they lost. And I'm just wondering if you remember who they who they lost to. Now it's all a blur. It's a blur. I, I figured it was. <laughs> <laughs>